0: God, thanks for the gift of Jesus, and thank you that um, it is the fullest expression of your goodness to us. So help us to understand that more. pray this together in Jesus' name, amen. Good morning once again, for those of you here in person, which there are many, and those of you who are watching on the podcast, we're so glad that you are with us. I've got to start this morning by saying that some people are simply destined for a certain role. I want to show you what I mean. It's so good to be here. I just came through Samimish and Isikoyee, and now I'm here in Bellevuee. That's the biggest drinking fountain I've ever seen. Come here, little rain penguins. You need a hug. Hello. Can I have a Grindy latte please? Um, and can I have it with gingerbread and with marmalade and with candy canes and with believing? Wow, Microsoft. Excuse me. Where are the Microsoft pillows? I love soft things. Oh, uh, we make software. I wear software. I'm very soft. What are they? They're everywhere. For we need a little Christmas right this very minute. Candles in the window, carols at the spinning. Yes, we need a little Christmas right this very To the jungle. Hasn't a single foot sent a deer working the roof. Dying the Turn off the brightest dream. Yeah, come on, come on. Now, I'd like to think it was for the production values and not so much for Scott Burbank and yellow tights, but I'll just trust you with that to make sense of that. There are just some things you can't unsee. Um, I want to uh, say that today we are beginning our new Advent series, The Greatest Story Ever Told. And in this series, we're going to take a look at at some of the most popular Christmas movies of all time, and we're going to look through the eyes of the main characters of those movies at, at Christmas. And what it means to them. And it might sound a little silly at first. But the reason we're doing this is because we all have so many ideas of what Christmas should be like. We all have so many experiences, most of us, with Christmas. Christmas traditions, Christmas songs, Christmas food, Christmas family, and all that that means. We kind of need a fresh way to to get into the Christmas story. It's just like experiencing the wonder of of Bellevue E through the eyes of Buddy the Elf. We want to have a fresh perspective. Seeing through someone else's eyes can give us that fresh perspective on the Christmas story, the greatest story ever told, the story of God coming in the flesh to rescue the world. Now today, to kick things off, we're going to look through the eyes of one of my favorite characters uh, from one of my favorite Christmas movies. Now, a lot of you will have seen this movie, but many of you won't. So I want to introduce you to its main character. This is Clark Griswold. Yes, go National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Now, this is an important movie in my life, so if you don't think it's a great movie, I don't care. Um, It's a great movie. This is back when they would make really silly, ridiculous movies, but they still had a heart and they had a message. This is, you know, back in the golden age of Hollywood. So um, Clark is this really average American guy, and he just wants one thing. He wants for his family to have the perfect Christmas is that so much to ask? The perfect Christmas. And so for Clark, everything's got to be perfect. The Christmas tree has to be perfect. So he and his family head deep into the woods to cut down a 25-foot Christmas tree that they drag home and it doesn't fit so well in their 12-foot ceilings and it breaks out of the windows and sap gets all over everything. It's a terrible disaster. Clark wants The perfect family situation, and so he invites both sets of grandparents to come, to travel, to be in his home uh, for this celebration, but he ends up with this unexpected party crasher, the sweet but clueless, a bit of a hero to me, Cousin Eddie, Cousin Eddie, whose family and his family's beat-up RV must now be included in this celebration. Clark wants to have the perfect Christmas dinner, and I know all of you just experienced the perfect Thanksgiving dinner like just perfect in terms of all your relationships were just smooth, travel was easy, right? The food was perfect, everything came out on time and just perfectly warmed, perfect Thanksgiving. No? Did everybody, everybody did have a perfect, well, whatever. We, we had a normal Thanksgiving, so. But he ends up with this disaster of a dinner where the two dogs that Cousin Eddie owns like chase the squirrel that lived in that original 25-foot tree through the dinner, and it just, it's a disaster, Clark wants the perfect Christmas lights on his house, and you probably know people like this, and maybe you are one of these people, and if so, you need help, but um, he basically every Christmas light that he can possibly get his hands on, he puts on his house so that there's literally no dark space on his house. It's just this, it's just ridiculous, right? And, And most of the time, he's having trouble getting this thing going, like he can't make it work. He's got all these plugs going, he pulls the family out, Let's make the, and he plugs it in and there's nothing and there's nothing and there's nothing, and by the end, finally, plugs it in, boom, the whole place lights up, the rest of the city goes black, right? <laughs> this is what happens with Clark. Most of all, what Clark wants is to build a swimming pool that summer with his much-anticipated Christmas bonus. He even promises his whole whole extended family, including his cousin Eddie, uh, that if if there's enough left over after building the pool with this Christmas bonus, that he's going to fly them all out, and they're going to have an inaugural swim together. It's going to be great. Does Clark get his Christmas bonus? No, of course he does not. Does anybody remember what he gets? Subscription to the Jelly of the Month Club, which is like a Christmas bonus, but not at all. It's horrible. It's a horrible gift. Then Clark starts to lose it, and hilarity further ensues, and I don't want to spoil the end of it because you could never figure it out unless you saw it actually in person. It's not true. But in the end, Clark does not get the Christmas that he wants, right? He doesn't get the perfect Christmas. He does get a very memorable Christmas, maybe even a meaningful Christmas. But as Clark's story unfolds, we find that uh, we start to root for Clark, as ridiculous as he is because even, even though his goal is... is Ridiculous! A perfect Christmas, right? A perfect holiday, we still kind of root for him and we even identify with him a bit. Why is that? Well, we know that Clark, this, this big-hearted, well-intended guy, he's, he's going to be thwarted often in his pursuit of this stuff and we know that that's going to be hilarious. So that's part of why we're rooting for him. But the reason, I think, that we so easily identify with him is because we know what it is to want something badly and we know what it is to not get what we want. We know what it is to want something badly. We know what it is to not get that thing that we want so badly. I've told this before, but when I was a kid, about fifth grade, all I wanted for Christmas was this electric race car set. And what that was, it was like this track that you plugged in and you had a little race car and you pushed a button on and it went around the track and you let the button off and it stopped. And that was it. And it was awesome. None of these stupid video games where, like, you're actually in the experience and everything's so su- No, this was the dream. So I was thinking about this, and I wanted this so bad. And, and it gets close to Christmas morning, and suddenly this box appears under the tree that is exactly the same size as the electric race car set that I want. And I'm just so grateful to Santa for this. This is just wonderful. Praise his name. Praise Santa's name. Because I'm just so excited about this. It's not heresy when you're in fifth grade. So just, I'm so excited. I open the thing up on Christmas morning. It's a pogo stick. Yeah, you get it, don't you? You know, you know that that's a horrible gift. I'm still dealing with it. We've all got this hoped for a future. We've all got this anticipation, this idea of how life could be if only we had, and you fill in the blank, if only we had this, if only we had that, and we play this if only game. If only I could get to remodel the kitchen like I wanted, if only I could own that car or that house or If only I could date him or her, if only I could marry her or him, if only I could have kids, if only my kids would leave. (laughs) That resonates with a lot of you, I see, that's interesting. We should start a class for that. Um, If only my relationship with my kids would be restored. If only I could get my dream job, if only I could get any job if only I could get out of the job that I'm in now, if only my health was restored, if only a loved one's health was restored, then if only my marriage could be restored, if only my relationship with my kids, If, if only I could feel some sense of hope. As we come into this season where there's all this expectation that things are just great and it's going to be great and we're going to give and give and get and all this, it's just going to be wonderful and We all know what it's like to want something really bad, but feel like it's always just out of reach. And when we don't get what we want, at the very least, we end up disappointed. I mean, after all, many of the things that we want are good things. They're good things. And so when we don't get them, we're at the very least disappointed. But more often than not, when we don't get one of those good things that we want, we can surely be in pain. We can become disillusioned, even heartbroken. We can become devastated. And in those places where life is not working as we hoped it would work, we wonder where God is. Where is he in the midst of these things? Why doesn't he act? If he's so good, why doesn't he fix things? He could just fix things. Why doesn't he do it? How could a good God allow something like this to happen? Why would a good God not help me get this good thing? Like, he wants it, I want it. Like, why is it not happening? And some of you, I bet, are in that place right now. You're very familiar with that pain, with that disappointment, with that grief, with that despair over, how is this going to work out? And if that's you, or if you know somebody like that, then I want you to know there is great hope, great hope in our circumstances, and we're going to talk about that Here in just a moment. But like Clark, we know what it is like to not get what we want. And through Clark's eyes, we can get a fresh perspective on this Christmas story. So in the passage that Colin just read this morning, we see Joseph getting news about Mary's pregnancy. And then we see how Joseph responds to that news. And it's just these few short verses, but there's a whole lot of stuff behind them. Now, the truth is we know almost nothing about Joseph from Scripture. And there's almost nothing said about this guy. Poor Joseph. He doesn't get much of a character study in this great drama, but there is much that we can assume given what we now know of first century Middle Eastern culture at that time. One thing Scripture does say is that he's a good man with a good reputation. He's managed to earn a good standing in his community, and that's key. That's key to this whole thing because Joseph lives in a shame-based culture, a little bit different from ours, where having a good reputation is everything. Our culture, we don't so much care about the reputation, as long as we get the stuff or the status or the whatever. We get, who cares what anybody thinks of us? But in this culture, as in many cultures throughout the world, reputation is everything. And this is what J- Joseph wants more than anything. This is what he's worked his whole life for. So when it comes to the place where it says Joseph was this good man with a good reputation, a good standing in his community, it means that he's worked hard his whole life to get there. And this is what he wants more than anything. So when he gets this news that Mary's pregnant, his world starts to fall apart. See, at that time, Joseph is, is betrothed to Mary, and betrothal is much stronger than our engagement. Kind of this pre-marriage thing. It's, it's, it's a much stronger thing, and it would be set up by family members, and betrothed couple would not necessarily see each other. They wouldn't hardly know each other, hardly have any conversations together, certainly not any conversations in private. It would take a divorce to undo the betrothal. So it's safe to assume that when Joseph finds out, not from Mary, because there would never be that kind of conversation between them, between them but somehow, through word of mouth, maybe through a relative, through somehow Joseph finds out that, that she's married, that she's pregnant. He's going to feel like his life is over because his reputation would surely be ruined. If Mary is pregnant, then he must have consummated the marriage before they were married, bringing shame then on himself, on Mary, on both of their families, and on their entire village. It's hard to get our minds around this in the 21st century. But for Joseph, his reputation is ruined, which means his future that he's worked so hard for is ruined. It just evaporated with this news that Mary is pregnant. And here's the kicker. And maybe you can relate to this part. Joseph hasn't done anything to deserve that. He didn't screw up somewhere, and this is the, kind of the consequence of him screwing up. He's done all the right things. He's made really good choices along the way. And we know that because Scripture said he's he's been faithful to the law. He's a good man. And this is what happens. Now, again, at that time, the way that he's going to help Mary save face, and even though he won't be able to, is that he's decided to kind of divorce her quietly. This is the only way to kind of save and protect her from joining into a union that would forever cause her shame. This at least gives her a chance. So even in this situation, Joseph is thinking of Mary's best. He's like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it quietly. This is not at all how I wanted my life to go. I can't believe this is my life. But this is the best we can do. So he switches gears. He tries to make the best of it. He's still a good man, so he tries to divorce her quietly. But the angel appears and says, look, look, look. This this pregnancy thing, this whole future that you think you just lost, It's about to be switched for something much better. Something much better. And in the end, Joseph chooses to believe God and to believe that he's good and to believe that he's up to good things. And so takes Mary home to be his wife, holds himself back until Jesus is born, has a son, names him Jesus. Instead of getting what Joseph wants, he gets Jesus. And what's so interesting about the Christmas story to me is that in every situation, every single character involved does not get what they want. They get Jesus instead. Mary, just this young teenage girl, certainly would have had in mind a future of, of raising kids and being happily married and having a good standing in her community. Well, that's, that's gone. Who's going to marry her now? Yes, she receives the news in a positive way, but you got to believe between the time she gets that news and the time that Jesus comes about, there's going to be some like... Wait a minute. This is, not, this is not good. Especially if she starts to take heat from the village and from family. She doesn't get what she wants. I think even a Herod, who down the road wants to kill Jesus, like, get rid of baby Jesus. Just kill all the babies so we know that baby Jesus is out of the picture. Herod does not get what he wants. He gets Jesus very much alive. In all these place, spaces, we, we can imagine that these different characters would have run into the place where, like, Where's God at work in this? Joseph certainly would have understood the law. He would have understood God's character and how he's good, how he's at work, how he's using all these things. And to have this now happen to him, to have his future just seem to evaporate, how how could he be good? In the same way, in our circumstances, when we're not getting what we want, like the good things, the good things we know even God would say, yeah, when we're not getting those things, it does force those questions. Ultimately, this is the question it forces. Is God good or is he not? Is God good or is he not? And every day we live in that that tension of deciding whether God is good and or whether he is not. And it's not that we're consciously thinking that. It's not that we're going to every decision and, and going to every kind of you know, choice that we might make and going, well, if God's good, then we do this. If God's not, then we do that. It's, it's just that we're living that out. Depending on what we believe about whether God is good or not, we are making choices out of that belief. What does God want for us that makes him so good? Well, in the expression of Jesus, In the person of Jesus, we find the fullness of the expression of God. If you want to know what God looks like, you look at Jesus. What is God like? Jesus. The full expression of what God is like. And Jesus says, I've come to give you life. Why have I come? To give you life. And life to the fullest. To the fullest. And if it's full, that means there's no room for more. It's totally full. It's saturated with life. It's full, it's complete, it's not lacking any good thing. And the Hebrew word for that is shalom, shalom, which we kind of hear and we just kind of think of as peace, like kind of a lack of conflict. Yeah, there was shalom in our home because Uncle So-and-So didn't come to Thanksgiving this year. It was great, right? That's about as uh, kind of big as we get with that word. But shalom is not that. It's not peace in the absence of conflict, but rather it's this wholeness, it's completeness. A good word for it these days would be thriving in every single area of our lives, in our work, in our relationships, in our bodies. Thriving. This is what God wants for us. Not just that we're personally satisfied and everything goes well with us. No. Because he's making a people for himself. Because ultimately he wants intimacy with us. He knows that's the only thing that thriving, the only way that thriving can happen. And he knows that sin breaks that. It breaks that thriving... Because it breaks that intimacy, right? Which is why whenever God says no to something, in Scripture or maybe in the context of your circumstances, whenever he says no to something, it's because he wants you to thrive. Because he's got more life for you than you can imagine. Likewise, whenever he says yes to something, whenever he has this good thing that he kind of allows to come your way or or puts it there intentionally, it's because he wants you to thrive. And maybe most difficult of all to understand, when God seems silent, when he seems absent, he's still at work. And he's doing that because he wants you to thrive. When God is silent, it's because he wants you to thrive. God's will is for you to thrive in intimacy with himself. So if God is good, that means he's always at work. He's always at work, working things out, For our thriving, for our wholeness. He's always at work, even in those circumstances that right now don't make any sense, or you don't see any hope for them. Like, how is this going to, how are we even going to pay the bills this month? How are we going to get through Christmas? How is this relationship going to ever be healed? How am I supposed to have any hope considering this in my life? if God is good, if God is good because of what he wants for us to thrive, then how might that affect our lives? How might that affect the choices that we make? How might it affect the way that we approach this particular holiday season? Or even now, I don't know about you, but I'm starting to wonder, like, okay, what do, what, about, what do I get this person and that person? And how do we make the dollars kind of work out? And how in the world will I ever find a parking space at Bell Square? You know, and how just on and on and on the concerns that come up is if God is good, would I do that differently? It might even look kind of the same from the outside, but maybe inside I've got a different attitude, a different perspective on the people that I'm bumping up against as I'm shopping at the mall. How might this affect that relationship that seems broken beyond repair? Or maybe that hope for a relationship that does not exist yet? And life just keeps moving on and moving on and moving on. You're like, this is, I thought by now I would have this. What about that job? What is that, how does that change things? What about the, the job that you have right now that maybe you don't like so much? If God is good, does that change the way that you approach that job? doesn't mean you have to stay in it. doesn't mean you have to do it. It just means that you're going to trust God differently in those things. Because he is at work. Because he's at good. Because he's good. Now, Clark tries to make things work on his own, and we see that disaster after disaster after disaster ensues. That's part of the fun. At the end, he kind of leans on his goofy family, even Cousin Eddie, and he kind of gets this redemptive Christmas, and a little bit in the same way as we're kind of trusting in our own stuff to make things work, that, that it just, we create chaos. We create mess after mess after mess. So even going back to the very beginning of kind of our human biblical story with Adam and Eve, they, they sin not because they eat the apple, God is pro-apple. <laughs> I'm not trying to say anything behind that. But, but God is not angry at them for eating the apple. He's, he's wrecked. The relationship is broken because they've decided that, that God is not good. He must be holding out on them somehow. So I'm going to find out what this is about, and I'm going to listen to a snake and eat an apple. That makes way more sense than trusting God who is good. And we do that same kind of stuff, right? God is good. And when we decide that he's not and we kind of make a choice against that, then that's sin. That breaks the intimacy. That breaks the thriving. In the same way that I would want for my toddler son, Ryder, if he's reaching up to touch the hot stove, I'm saying no. Not just because I know better that he's going to get burned on that thing, but because I want more for him. I know that burning your hand is not thriving. And I want him to thrive. And I'm an imperfect father. You're perfect. You're very good, very good heavenly father. Longs for you to thrive. He wants to give you that gift of thriving, of that life that is to the fullest. It doesn't mean that we get to taste the fullness of that always. Of course not. It doesn't take away the pain. doesn't take away the grief. But it brings meaning to the pain. It brings meaning to the grief because God is at work. God is at work. He cannot not be at work. And where God does not meet our expectations is only because He is at work exceeding our expectations, constantly exceeding our expectations. He cannot do otherwise. God is good. How does that shape the way that we move even from this space into the rest of our day? So Jesus, as we consider again this holiday season and the things that you were up to in our lives and in Especially the stuff that doesn't make sense in our lives. The stuff that we would love to change. If we could change this thing, if we could have this back, if we could have that instead. God, if we, could, if we could only, God, in those spaces where there are those kind of questions, those kind of feelings in our heart, maybe the hurt, the brokenness, the desperation, would you meet us in a fresh way? Surprise us. Take us by surprise. And show us in a fresh way just how good you are. God, give us us the eyes to even be able to catch that because it probably won't look the way that we think it looks. Give us courage to trust you. And God, may we get a new taste of hope that that is so deeply rooted in your goodness. And we pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen.